This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. It's December 30th. You're listening to the President's Daily Brief. I'm your host and former CIA officer, Brian Dean Wright. Your morning intel starts now. Today is the final episode of our five-part series this week on the Dirty Green Revolution. So over the past week, we've talked about solar panels, wind turbines, and the batteries that store and distribute their energy. But as the facts make very clear, none of that stuff is clean or green or renewable at all, despite what proponents might say. It all comes with some pretty horrible costs. And that's why we call it dirty green energy. Well, today we're wrapping up the series with the one thing that will touch all of us profoundly about this dirty energy revolution, and that's electric vehicles. And that's because over the past several months, the states of California, New York, Washington, and others have passed laws saying that if you want to buy a new car starting in the year 2035, it must be electric. There will be no new gas power cars sold ever again in those states after that year. And by the way, it's not just the states that are doing this. Some car manufacturers are agreeing to it too. General Motors, for instance, has announced that they will stop building gas-powered cars by the year 2035. So folks, we have to talk about this. As consumers, yes, but also as a country, we have to understand whether we should embrace electric vehicles or rather we should do whatever it takes to stop or slow that industry until we can address the very dirty facts about these cars. So you ready to talk electric vehicles? Good. Let's get to it. So all this week, we've used our imaginations to help us understand this dirty green technology. So let's just do it again this morning. I want us to imagine that we are inside a car dealership talking to our salesman. Now, in this conversation, let's assume that we've already asked that person about some of the horrific things inside that vehicle, namely the battery. Because what we now know, based on the briefs that I gave you earlier this week, the batteries that power electric vehicles today come from very dirty beginnings. They require miners in the Congo, and over 40,000 of those folks, in fact, are children as young as six years of age. And then, of course, minerals like cobalt and lithium and nickel are then sent to China to refine and then make them into batteries. And that means that your purchase of this electric vehicle, that's about to fund child labor and the communists in Beijing. And maybe folks are okay with that. It seems like a lot of people are. Well, as people do, we should be asking that salesman three very important questions before you make that purchase. First, how much does that car cost to buy? Second, how much does it cost to maintain and insure? Finally, how long does it take to fill up the tank? In other words, how long does it take to charge the car's batteries? Now, I don't know if that salesman is going to be honest with you about these questions, so I'm going to help you out. I've got the facts. Let's start with that first question. How much is that car going to cost you? 
Well, according to Kelly Blue Book, the average price of a new electric vehicle is just over $66,000. Now, that is a lot more than what most people pay for a new gas-powered car, which averages $43,000. In other words, the price of an electric vehicle is comparable to what a buyer would normally spend on a luxury vehicle, like a BMW or a Mercedes-Benz. Now, to be fair, there are cheaper models, mostly because they use batteries of lesser quality or they have lower range. And meanwhile, you can also get some financial assistance to buy one of these things. The U.S. government is currently offering a federal tax rebate of up to $7,500 off. But to get that rebate, your new electric vehicle can't cost more than $55,000 for sedans or $80,000 for SUVs and trucks which, as car companies have complained, is well below the average cost of an electric vehicle. So that's a problem. It knocks out a huge number of makes and models from eligibility. Also, we have another catch on who can get this rebate. So to get it, the car's metals and batteries have to be 40% made in America. I should say North America. But as PDB listeners will remember, the United States does very little mining for those minerals, especially inside the batteries. And we have virtually no battery manufacturing capability. Meanwhile, this rebate problem, it's going to get worse because the price of these electric vehicles keeps going up, largely because the cost of minerals inside those batteries is doubling or tripling, especially cobalt, lithium and nickel. And what's worse, mining executives say that the prices for these critical battery minerals is going to keep rising through at least the year 2035 because demand is so high and new mines can't be opened fast enough. In fact, I've seen estimates out of the United Kingdom and France that say if you add up all the new demand for all these minerals, the total required is actually beyond the known mineral reserves on the planet Earth. Now, I'm still digging into that claim, but it's pretty remarkable to think about. And frankly, it's probably true. In other words, folks, and to summarize, electric vehicles are very expensive. And over the medium to long term, they will likely get much more expensive all because of those batteries. And that takes us to our second question of the morning. How much is that vehicle going to cost me to maintain and insure, especially as I compare that to a gas-powered vehicle? All right, let's first talk about the maintenance. Electric vehicles have far fewer parts as compared to a gas vehicle. And that means, according to the AAA folks, the average cost to maintain an electric vehicle is actually less than a gas-powered car, about $330 a year less. But the cost of repairing an electric vehicle can be significantly more than a gas-powered car, especially after an accident. So let's take the most common accident out there, a little fender bender. According to a recent study of insurance claims, the average electric vehicle cost to repair a modest fender bender was $4,041. That's about 27% more than a traditional car in that same kind of accident. Now, this study shows that if you had a midsize or a luxury brand electric vehicle, the average claim there was $8,037 or 53% higher than traditional luxury cars for that same kind of accident. So why is that? Well, the bottom line is that the repair parts are more expensive to make based on their materials. And that's especially true if you mess up that battery. If your electric vehicle's battery gets damaged and it's not under warranty, 
Oh, you're looking at a $20,000 repair bill, a number that will only go higher in the years ahead. One other issue on repairs to talk about. Since electric vehicles are a modestly new technology, there are fewer technicians trained to service them. That means the qualified facilities will be harder to find than a gas-powered car. That will likely mean that you're going to have to pay more for repairs. Plus, studies show that it takes 50% longer to diagnose and fix a problem on these electric vehicles as compared to traditional cars. And that's why, all told, labor costs for repairing an electric vehicle are about 30% higher. Now, speaking of, what about those insurance costs? Well, since electric vehicles cost more and are more costly to repair, insurance companies are naturally going to charge you more. According to a study of insurance premiums, electric vehicles cost about 15% more a year to insure as compared to a gas-powered vehicle. Plus, there's this. Some studies show that electric vehicles tend to start on fire more often than gas-powered cars, especially during accidents. I will say that there is some debate about this. The data are mixed, so we'll revisit this one later. So the bottom line message, folks, on both maintenance and insurance is this, if I could give you some advice. If you own an electric vehicle, do two things for me. First, be rich. Uh, and second, do not get into an accident. Now, there you are. I hope that advice was helpful. Okay, so, so we've covered our first few questions of the morning that we set out to tackle. First, we talked about the cost of a car, very expensive. And then the cost of repairing that car, also expensive. Lastly, we wrapped up by discussing the cost of insuring that car. And once again, very expensive. So we now need to ask that salesman one final question. How long will it take to charge this electric vehicle? Because that's really important. With gas-powered cars, we all know that we just pull up to the pump and we spend mm, two, five minutes to fill up. A little longer if you've got a semi or a big truck. But how about for that electric vehicle? Well, <laughs> oh boy, if your car salesman is honest, he's going to pour you a cup of coffee or tea or cocktail because his answer is going to take him a long time. Folks, there are at least five variables that will determine how long it takes to fill up your battery. I'm going to give you the answers after we take a quick short break, but I'll give you a tease. In some cases, it can take up to four days to fill one battery. We'll be right back. Hey there. You've heard me talk about the importance of lifelong learning before. I mean, you should never be too old or too busy to learn something new. Now, we all know time is our most precious commodity, and, and I know that it can be difficult to find the time to study, to learn, to improve your knowledge. That's why I'm excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in some of the most important and enduring subjects. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses all available for free. Correct. I did say free. Look, sign up for the Constitution 101 course, The Meaning and History of the U.S. Constitution. In this 12-lecture course, you'll explore the design and purpose of the Constitution, the challenges it faced during the Civil War, and how it's been undermined and under attack, frankly, for more than a century by those who believe it can be changed on a whim or who view the Constitution as a document that can be changed whenever progressive ideas become fashionable. 
The course is self-paced, so that you can start whenever and wherever. Enroll now in Constitution 101. Look, our country always needs more citizens who understand the Constitution and can defend the freedoms of the American people against the encroachments of an increasingly large and sprawling government. Go now to hillsdale.edu pdb to enroll. Check it out. There's no cost, and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu pdb to register. In today's market, you may just decide to make your current house home sweet home for just a bit longer. I mean, with interest rates higher, staying in your current home, well, it looks a lot more attractive. But are your aging appliances in it for the long haul as well? It's an important question to consider and to be prepared for unexpected expense when that refrigerator, the dishwasher, your water heater, or some other system in the house decides to tag out early. That's where American Home Shield comes in. With AHS, you can protect what you don't expect, like a leaky faucet or a faulty water heater. This gives you more control when parts of covered appliances or home systems break, so an unexpected bill doesn't break the bank. Choose a plan that works for you and your budget, and then it's simple. When a covered item in your home breaks, just contact American Home Shield, and their trusted, qualified pros will fix or replace it based on the coverage limits in your agreement. Right now, you can take $50 off. Go to ahs.com mike now to save $50. That's aah.com mike for $50 off any plan. American Home Shield. Protect what you don't expect. See ahs.com contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. Welcome back to the PDB. We are talking about the Dirty Green Revolution this morning, which, of course, is this week's series where we take a critical eye to the industries of solar, wind, batteries, and today, electric vehicles. So next, we're getting to the trickiest question of all. How long does it take to charge my electric vehicle? Folks, grab that cup of coffee or tea or cocktail. Get comfortable because the answer isn't like a gas or diesel powered car. You don't just pull up to the pump and five minutes later or so, you're out of there. In fact, charging an electric vehicle may require, honestly, a lawn chair, a hotel room while you get the explanation. All right, here's why. First, let's start with your power source. People call these chargers or charging stations, but that's not technically accurate. The charger is really inside your car, so we should really call these things power sources. Regardless, there are three different levels of power sources. They're called level one, level two, and level three. So level one is the least efficient. It's a three-prong plug that you already have on the walls of your home. So how long does it take to charge a car using that plug? Well, as an example, if you buy a 2022 Tesla Model 3 long-range car, if you want that to charge from virtually empty to virtually full, that will take you four days. That's according to Tesla itself. Now, listeners have emailed me saying, all right, hold on, Brian. I own a Tesla and nobody uses level one chargers. In fact, sometimes Tesla gives you a level two charger for free. And those are a lot faster charging. And you know what? That's true. And, and what actually a great segue to level two power sources, because as my Tesla listeners have said, they are in fact faster than level one. Instead of taking four days to charge, it'll take you mm, eight to 12 hours. Maybe 
More on that in a second. But what my Tesla friends probably won't like to admit is that these level two power chargers do not come free. Not really. You have to have a professional electrician come to your home to install it. That's thousands of more dollars in expense. By the way, good luck if you live in an apartment building or a condo complex, because unless there's a level two charging station in your garage, you're going to need to stay overnight at a Walmart parking lot or something like it, because that's where most public level two charging stations are at. Now, as ever, we got to be fair. I have listeners who said that they charge uh, at level two while they're at work, and that's enough uh, for them to get home to charge overnight. And that is super good for y'all. But how many people, I ask, have that luxury, especially in rural areas or in poor communities? Say nothing of poor countries. Level two power stations are a luxury, my friends. Nevertheless, we have one final power station to talk about. It's the level three power stations. Now, using one of these will generally take you 30 minutes to one hour to fill up. Now, unfortunately, there are very few of those in the United States. According to Carfax, there are fewer than 5,000 level three power stations in America. And compare that to gas stations. There are over 115,000 gas stations in the United States. That's according to MarketWatch. Although it is true that there are plans underway to expand the number of these level three power stations. Joe Biden's climate change bill has lots of goodies and incentives to encourage their construction. But as PDB listeners will recall, these level three power stations require a massive amount of electricity. In fact, according to the utility company National Grid, electrifying a typical highway truck stop with just these level three power stations will require as much power as a small U.S. city. That's just one truck stop. And that means that America is going to have to build thousands of tens of thousands of something called a substation. You may have seen these compounds, as it were, driving around. They're fairly, well, if I may say, ugly. They're blocks of gray utility equipment that serve a very important purpose. They transform voltage from high to low power or vice versa, amongst other critical functions. But the key here is that those new substations can take years and millions of dollars to permit and construct. So if your car salesman isn't honest with you about power station differences from level one to level three, well, that could leave you as a consumer in a real pickle. Okay, so that's the summary of our first variable over the first four or five power source. But we've still got four more to go on how long it will take to fill up your batteries. And depending on each car and each variable, that means that your charge times might go way up. So for instance, we have to consider something called your maximum charge rate. So remember when I said that your charger is actually inside your electric vehicle? Well, it is. And each car charges at a different rate. So the calculation of that is pretty complicated. You divide the battery capacity by the power rating of your car's onboard charger. Then you subtract 10% of power loss associated with charging it. And whew, you get your maximum charge rate. So why is that important? Well, some electric vehicles like that Tesla have a very high maximum charge rate. So you can take advantage of the level three power stations but other cars have a much lower charge rate. It all depends on the model and the year of manufacture. 
So the bottom line, folks, is that you can pull up with your very fancy, very expensive electric vehicle to a level three power station, expecting, of course, a fast charge. But if your car's maximum charge rate is slow, well, you're going to be waiting many hours no matter what. All right, let's move on from power source issues and charging rate issues to a variable that's a little bit more understandable. And that, of course, is weather. You see, when it's cold outside, batteries don't like to charge as fast. And guess what? Those level three chargers, they don't charge as fast either. Hmm. But it gets worse. Batteries don't like it when it's too hot outside either. Not just cold. Heat actually degrades both the charge time and the battery's life. So there's a technical reason for this. It involves your electric car's thermal management systems and internal resistance. But I'm going to be honest with you, I have no idea what any of that means. What I do know is that if it's too hot or it's too cold, you are going to be sitting around longer to charge your vehicle. So the bottom line here, folks, your electric vehicle is a princess and it only likes to live and be charged in sort of Goldilocks-like temperatures. So I'm sorry if you live in Arizona or Alaska because you are too hot or too cold. And if it's wintertime or summer, then everybody's in trouble because no matter where we live, you're going to be too hot or too cold. And it's why I like to call this the Goldilocks challenge of an electric vehicle. You got to have it just right. All right, let's talk about our fourth variable of charging cars. And now as you recharge, it may take shorter or longer depending on how full the tank is, or should I say battery is, and that makes sense. But it's very important to remember something here. Electric vehicle manufacturers will tell buyers that batteries should not go below a 20% charge or above an 80% charge, especially when it's hot or cold outside, all because of those thermal management systems and such. Again, the science is a bit complicated as to why we got this 80-20 rule, but just remember, your battery is a real princess. Finally, there are a collection of other variables to consider, and I'm just going to call them miscellaneous. So for instance, how long the power cord is from the power station to your car, that actually matters in terms of charge time. Or how often you use your air conditioning or heater. That's a really a big one. A study out by AAA showed that if you use your heater in the wintertime, that can lower battery range by over 40%. That's why if your salesman is honest, they'll tell you that if you want to cut your charging time in the winter, you should use a seat warmer and bundle up. And I'm actually not kidding on that. Do an internet search on battery, winter time, and heater. It's just hilarious and incredible stuff. One final thing to note in our bucket of miscellaneous variables, battery life and charge times vary based on whether you drive shorter distances or longer distances. So interestingly, electric vehicles and their batteries do better with lower speeds and shorter distances. That's according to Kelly Blue Book. So all in all, my friends, if you were sitting with that salesman asking about cost and maintenance, insurance and charge times, well, I suspect that you might just be a little bit overwhelmed by all the answers and to these crazy machines. They are not plug and play, my friends. The facts show us that they are a temperamental little machine that happens to be very expensive. Which reminds me, some of my listeners brought up the very good point that the cost of electricity to charge these vehicles is also a variable to consider. 
as electricity prices can differ depending on where in the country or the world you might be. Plus, these listeners said uh, the source of that energy might not be, quote unquote, green at all. And, and yes, that is all true. If you want to dig into this issue more, go check out the brief that I gave you on August 23rd after we're done here today. I did a little bit of investigative reporting on that issue. But for now, my friends, that ends today's brief on electric vehicles. And it also ends this week's five-part series into dirty green energy. And you know what? What a great week it's been. When we come back, I'm going to offer up my final thoughts. In the meantime, drop me an email with what you think of this week's briefs. Good, bad, ugly, I'll take it all. My email address, as always, is pdb at thefirsttv.com. Or you can reach me on my website at briandeanwright.com. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, let's talk cigars. Now, today's journey begins in the fertile soils where the finest tobacco is nurtured, cultivated, and harvested with meticulous care. It's a marriage of premium Nicaraguan and Connecticut shade tobaccos. They're blended together, and frankly, the rest is history. Now, of course, I'm talking about the Charter Oak Cigar by the Foundation Cigar Company. Foundation Cigar Company is where passion meets craftsmanship, and old-world traditions are mixed with modern-day styles. I first heard about Foundation Cigars from Joe Rogan, and, as usual, he was right. These guys know exactly what they're doing. Their cigars are unique, and they're laser-focused on quality. Nick, the founder, is recommending the Charter Oak Cigar. It's great for the most seasoned cigar lover or for the casual enthusiast. It's smooth, medium-bodied, with notes of cedar, spice, and a subtle sweetness. How's that for a description? So, when was the last time you had a cigar? Well, maybe you're a regular, or you're just looking to change things up. Go down to your local shop, grab a couple Charter Oaks by Foundation Cigar. Their website is foundationcigarcompany.com, or, like I said, they're sold in cigar shops around the country. Look, anybody who's sat around the fire pit enjoying an excellent cigar and a tasty beverage knows exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you're on the golf course, or frankly, at this time of year, you've just finished a day of skiing. Perhaps you're sitting on the porch with your buddies or you're playing poker. It's the perfect time to light up a Charter Oak Cigar from Foundation Cigar Company. Attention. If you owe the IRS, this is an important announcement. COVID relief is over and the IRS is ramping up like never before, sending out millions of collection letters to start 2024. Do you owe $10,000 or more or have unfiled returns? Now is the time to act. The IRS can garnish your wages, seize your property, and they can even take your home or your business. Don't let the IRS take advantage of you. It's time to call Tax Network USA. Their team of experienced tax lawyers has already saved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. They know how to negotiate with the IRS and can help you, too. Visit TNUSA.com or call 1-800-245-6000. Again, that's 1-800-245-6000. Don't wait until it's too late. Take control of your tax situation today with Tax Network USA. 1-800-245-6000. Call now. Welcome back to the PDB. Well, folks, I think it's been a pretty darn good week. I think we've covered a lot of very important and, frankly, new information, all focused on the main question that we set out to answer, which was, are these technologies really green, clean, or renewable? Or are there dirty secrets to this new form of energy? 
And the answer is resounding and absolutely clear. Green energy is dirty, wildly so. Let's just remind ourselves as to why. With solar panels, most of the world's supply comes from slaves living in Chinese concentration camps. Plus, the panels are manufactured using coal energy. Finally, there are no recycling programs yet in America for these things, not at scale anyway, and that's why most panels end up in landfills. Meanwhile, with the wind turbines, those are disastrous for animals on both land and sea, most especially for birds, including America's national bird, the mighty bald eagle. Plus, when wind blades have to be retired, they just get buried in the backyards of some of America's poorest communities. And, and by the way, with both solar and wind, they have one major critical flaw. They're intermittent forms of energy, which is just a fancy way of saying that the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. So you could have, say, great production levels one day, and then the next you're down to 3% of capacity. That actually happened in the United Kingdom this winter, down to 3% of what they normally do. Now, proponents of dirty green energy will say, okay, yeah, 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 solar and wind might be spotty on occasion, but don't worry, we've got batteries. Ah, yes, the batteries. To refresh our memories here, lithium-ion batteries don't exist without kids digging in Congolese soil, making $2 a day to pull cobalt out of the ground. And for that lithium... We have mines in the Atacama Desert, sucking up the water in the driest place on Earth. Or what about nickel? The world's greatest supplier of that mineral, Indonesia, wants to start a cartel like the oil cartel to control nickel prices and global supply. And that could mean America has to put our military's boots on the ground to secure those minerals, just like we've had to do with oil for decades. Finally, we've got a serious China problem with dirty green batteries. All of those minerals, they're refining and they're manufacturing. Almost all of that global supply goes through China. Beijing controls about 80% of each of those key areas during a battery's early life. Speaking of, put on your hazmat suit if one of those batteries starts on fire. Shut your windows too. During a recent fire in California involving a Tesla Megapack, residents had to shelter in place when those batteries burst into flames and spewed out toxic fumes into the air. And ah, speaking of Tesla, pull out your checkbook if you want to afford one of their cars. Electric vehicles are wildly expensive, dramatically more than gas-powered cars. And by the way, good luck replacing a battery in one of these things. That's going to run you twenty dollars to $25,000 or more, especially if you forgot to treat that battery like a princess while it was alive. Look, if I'm going to be fair, it is possible that we could see some innovation in this dirty green industry. And maybe that innovation will alter our calculus about the dirtiness of it all. We talked about some of those creative innovations along the way over the past number of days, like new types of solar panels or new battery chemistries, uh, new wind blades that don't kill birds. And you know what? I, I hope that that innovation happens. But in the meantime, if you were the president and I were to now offer you my counsel based on the facts and the data, not opinion, not feelings, my counsel would be this. This green technology is not green and it's not ready. Not to power a nation or its economy. 
as of this moment, green energy is so dirty that it is an absolute nightmare for our environment, for our people, and for our national security. It would be reckless to adopt it on a national scale. And look, maybe in some locations we can use it. Maybe, say, for farmers and ranchers who are out in the back 40. But not to power the nation. Now, if you're worried about climate change, you should consider things like carbon capture and sequestration technology, or nuclear power, or hydrogen. I'll brief you on those things down the road. But here's something that's interesting. Proponents of dirty green energy hate those alternatives, things like hydrogen and nuclear power and so forth. And that's because for these people, especially those in the environmental community, none of this is actually about the climate. It's about politics and revolution. So let me explain that. There's a climate change activist named Greta Thunberg. Many of you might have heard of her name before. She's been the face of climate change activism for years now, starting out as a very young child who is now 18 years of age. But to be clear, she's not just some you know, random occasional face of the climate change movement. She's been the world's leading champion of it. Let's remind ourselves of what we know that says that's true. She has delivered multiple climate change speeches at the United Nations. She's been named as one of the world's most influential people by Time magazine. And she's won countless climate change awards and millions of dollars in prizes because of her advocacy. So taking all of that into account, Greta Thunberg has just written a book about her climate change journey and activism. And this fall, she was delivering remarks about that in London. And while explaining that journey and her beliefs, she blasted capitalism and the West for causing all of the world's problems, climate and otherwise. Let me just read a few of the things that she said. Quote, what we refer to as normal capitalism is an extreme system built on the exploitation of people and the planet, end quote. She went on to say, quote, it is a system defined by colonialism, imperialism, oppression, and genocide by the so-called global north, all to accumulate wealth that still shapes our current world order. Finally, she said, quote, we are never going back to normal again because normal was already a crisis. The Western world is in need of a system-wide transformation. So what does that sound like to you? Is the focus here really about climate change or something else? And by the way, what is this system-wide transformation that she wants in the West? But you know, that's not what's actually important here. I want you to really consider something else. She has been talking like this since she was a child. So folks... Kids don't come up with this stuff on their own. She was being fed this by others in the climate change community. She was their child puppet. So let's ask ourselves the logical question. What did the puppet masters want? Really? Is this about climate change? Or is this about a political and economic revolution using climate change as the pretext? Well, those are good questions if I do say so myself logical and reasonable. So, my friends, I hope you ask and answer those questions, along with all the others that we raised this week during this series on dirty green energy. Because maybe, just maybe, none of this 
is really about solar panels and wind turbines after all. Maybe those are just distractions. Distractions from the bigger crisis that we should really be talking about. And as Greta Thunberg will tell you, it ain't about climate change. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes your morning brief. As always, we close out the show reminding each other of why we are here, talking about our country and our world. It's the creed of every good spy and every smart American. It's from John chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. When looking at today's financial environment, it's clear that we're experiencing concerning economic shifts that could impact your retirement savings. We've got stubborn inflation, soaring interest rates, and astronomical debt that could drain their value. Now, the good news is that there is a time-tested way to protect your financial future, and that's gold and silver. American Hartford Gold can ship physical precious metals right to your door, or you can store your precious metals in a tax and penalty-free gold IRA. American Hartford Gold can help shield your wealth from this economic turbulence. Analysts predict that gold is set to hit all-time highs. If you've got retirement funds that you can't afford to lose, now is the time to call American Hartford Gold. They'll show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts by diversifying your portfolio with physical gold and silver. With amazing customer service and a buyback commitment, they pride themselves on top-tier products great customer service, and a commitment to customer satisfaction. American Hartford Gold has earned a five-star rating from thousands of reviews and an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. Use the promo code PDB, and they'll give you up to $5,000 of free silver on your first order. So call 866-292-2990 or text PDB to 998899. Again, that's 866-292-2990 or text PDB to 998899. Let's talk about shrubs. Okay, let's talk about shrubs and trees, not to mention bushes and really all plants in general. Did you know that fast-growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the United States with more than 10,000, that's 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? And we're not just talking about the great outdoors. They've got houseplants as well. And you can get adventurous if you want to and grow lemons, avocados, olives, fig trees right there. Fig, how about a fig tree inside your home? Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online and ship directly to your door in one to two days. You order, and in one or two days, you got figs, olives, lemons in your house, and who knows what else outside your house. You can even speak to the specialists for a free consultation. They curated thousands of plants so you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate, location, and needs. Seriously, that is a great idea, particularly for someone like me that lacks a green thumb. Now, whether you're looking to add some privacy, shade, or natural beauty to your yard, Fast Growing Trees is ready to help you make the right selection from their nursery. Right now, they have some of their best deals online, like up to half off on select plants and more. Listeners to my show get an additional 15% off when using the code PDB at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code PDB at checkout. Go now to fastgrowingtrees.com, code PDB. I'm telling you, this offer won't last forever. And tell them I sent you.